You're listening to the Healing Birth with Carla podcast, and I'm your host, Carla Sargent. For the past decade, I've been working in the field of birth trauma support and education, utilizing my background in midwifery and teaching, and putting my passion for story sharing to good use. This podcast seeks to dispel common myths surrounding birth trauma and what it takes to heal. Each week, we'll be spending an insightful and inspiring hour together, listening to the stories of people who have journeyed from trauma to healing, and discussing the insights of birth keepers who support others to heal. Whether you're new to the world of birth, a long-time parent, or someone who has an insatiable appetite for all things birth-related, this podcast offers hope and love, guidance and peace, as together we explore how healing our earth begins with healing birth. But before we grace your ears with today's episode, I'm going to take this opportunity to say that if you're inspired to heal with me, or to train with me, or if you have a healing story that you'd like to share on my podcast, reach out to me via my website healingbirth.co.nz. Today I'm joined by Shana Salvin, a Melbourne mama to one angel baby and one rainbow child. After Shana's traumatic miscarriage experience, she struggled to find the support she needed to work through overwhelming feelings of confusion, guilt and grief. In this podcast episode, Shana vulnerably shares with us how she navigated this and the strategies she utilised to make it out the other side of that dark time. Since then, Shana made it her mission to ensure that others weren't so alone in journeying through their baby loss experiences. To that end, she founded the Institute of Healing Through Pregnancy Loss, providing guidance both for people seeking to heal and for those who want to help others to heal. Welcome, Shana. It's so nice to be on this call with you and getting to see your face and have a conversation with you. We've chatted a little bit uh, via social media. Um, I'm really intrigued with the work you do because it's uh, really aligned with the work that I do. Um, so I'm in, you know, I work around birth trauma support and education, and you, your work is focusing on both supporting people to find healing after um, pregnancy loss experiences, um, but also training others uh, in the art of, of supporting others in, in around pregnancy loss. Um, so, so yeah, beautifully aligned sort of work. Um, and I'm really looking forward to hearing about your journey into that work, um, about what you offer, about some of the tools and suggestions you'd have for listeners who have either experienced pregnancy loss themselves or who have friends or family who have experienced loss um, and how to support them through that. Um, and for any listeners who might be interested in um, yeah, getting a more in-depth knowledge about how they can offer that sort of support. So let's get into it. Um, and I'd really like to start by having you share about your own journey into motherhood. Yeah, so thank you firstly for having me here in your space and I love the work that you do. It's so important as well and like you said, it is it is so beautifully aligned. Um, they go sort of really hand in hand because I do believe that pregnancy loss is birth trauma as well um, and acknowledging it as that and being able to heal and support ourselves through that. 
Um, so my journey started, well, I always wanted to be a mom. And through my 20s, I felt like I wanted to spend time on me. Like looking back over it after we experienced loss, I felt like that was a really selfish decision of mine. I was like, why should I have chosen to to want to spend time on me? Why didn't I choose to want to start a family at that time? Um, but in my 20s, I just felt so immature. I just wanted to have fun. And I always thought pregnancy was going to be easy. I always thought, you know, that's what you're taught in school. It's going to be easy. So I thought, I'll just have sex, I'll fall pregnant, and I'll have a baby. That's fine. I'll just spend my 20s, you know, being 20. Um, When I hit my, when I turned 30, it was like a switch in my brain. And I was like, you know what? I'm really ready now. I really want to have a baby as like a child now. Um, So I went off all contraception and, you know, we were trying we were trying for almost five years. And through that time, I was starting to feel really broken. I was questioning my ability to actually fall pregnant. I'm like, why, why is this so difficult? Why can't every why does everyone else seem to fall pregnant so easily and I can't? Um it was a very hard yeah hard mentally physically emotionally um and you're not really given much support from like the medical system like it's just like just just keep trying or we'll just test you and see like if you're like how your eggs are and how his sperm is and and it wasn't and it wasn't him like his sperm was fine so it was me it was me that I was the broken one but I was never told to actually look at my health. I was never told to work on my physical health. Um, oh, in like on a on a on paper on a checklist, I was healthy. I, I didn't smoke. I don't didn't drink. Like I did do, you know, I did smoke. Uh, smoke. I did drink. Sorry, in my twenties, I probably did smoke too, but not. I wouldn't have classed myself as a you know real heavy drinker or a real heavy smoker. It was. You know, and then definitely in my 30s, I switched. I changed my lifestyle. Um, but to what I thought would be okay, but there was still a lot of stuff going on inside of me internally that I wasn't aware of. Um, and then we went and saw a fertility specialist. He gave me medication to sort of fast track falling pregnant without actually looking at my internal health. So there was a lot of things, again, that I looked, that I found out after that would have been really, really, really valuable to look at at the beginning, like when I was trying to conceive. But we, I think I was on the medication maybe for a couple of months and we fell pregnant and I was like over the moon because that was my, that was my dream. That was my goal. Like 
you know, that's why I wanted to, you know, go through this like whole fertility process, like to fall pregnant because, you know, I would have done anything to get there. Um, and I, I didn't know cause it was my first pregnancy. I didn't know how I was meant to feel physically through pregnancy, but I was really tired all of the time. Like, um, it's almost like my body was just physically exhausted every single morning. And my mom sort of picked up on it. It's kind of like, you know, it shouldn't be like that, like to the extent that it was. And I, because I wasn't really aware of my period either. My cycle was always so irregular and, Essentially, that's why I was put on contraception when I was 13, because it was heavy and it was frequent and I was getting sick a lot because my body just couldn't cope with that. So um, I didn't really know when I was meant to have got my period. So I kind of worked out I was about 10 weeks when I went into the ultrasound. and in that appointment was when they told me that they couldn't find a heartbeat. They said it had stopped growing at seven weeks. So I was like, I've just been telling everyone that I was pregnant. Like, and it had essentially died in me while I was telling everyone that I was pregnant. And I was like, how could I do that to my baby? How could I do that to me? Why didn't I know? I should have known. I was its mom. I should have known. Um, so that was a really big thing for me to be able to wrap my head around, you know, that it was nothing that I consciously did or didn't do, but you just do. You blame yourself for it all happening. I kind of look at it, though, now, if when I look back over that experience, it was a blessing because it was able to really support me in making big sort of health and health shifts for myself, like really understanding what was going on inside of me. And not that it was the cause of my loss, but my body could barely support itself with what was going on. So it had no ability to support a brand new little life that was trying to come in. But I did a lot of a lot of change in that time after loss. Um, being my first pregnancy, I thought that meant I was never going to have children ever again. And I felt like I was the only woman going through it because no one was talking about it. And the medical system just kind of says, oh, this is what's happened and then sends you on your merry way. And I'm like, well, there's no support. Who do I actually talk to? Like I'm, I knew that I was grieving. I knew that I was going through like the motions of grief and the, you know, I, I remember just sitting on the couch and mum said I didn't move for like ages. I don't even know how long it was, but. I felt my physical body kind of wasting away. So I had a lot of physical then um, things that I had to 
to work on as well as emotional um, and spiritual because I questioned absolutely everything about me, about my faith, about like, you know, I was being punished. You know, God was punishing me for something that I had no idea. I was like, I was a good person. Like, why am I getting punished? So I just did what I had to do for myself. I let myself kind of guide the way in terms of what I needed to do for my healing. Um, Can I ask what the responses were of your your partner, your family, your friends during that time? Responses as in? To, to To your loss experience. Yeah, I was really lucky to have a supportive family, like a really supportive family unit. There's a lot of women out there that don't have that, and but I was really lucky to have that. My partner, my husband was really supportive. He, like in the ultrasound appointment, he just held me. Um, my mum, I think she grieved just as much as I did, and you know it's she she told me she she feels our pain just as much as we do so it was really they were there for me like the whole time they were the only ones that were there society kept trying to fix me and tell me oh it'll be okay like it was only early lucky it wasn't further along it you know there was something wrong with the baby you didn't lucky it didn't you know it wasn't born and then there was something wrong with it i was just like none of none of what the society was telling me was helpful at all but i was lucky to just to have a family that sat with me like my mom would come and sit just sit and be there yeah that that story of um you know a well-intentioned response from society or from people who don't know any better that at least any anything that begins with at least mm. you know at least you know you can get pregnant at least it was early on in your pregnancy at, at least uh you know you yeah all of those sorts of stories um those kind that sort of fix it mentality is exactly the same as the wider kind of response to um to people's birth trauma more generally speaking as well, uh, you know, at least you've got a healthy baby. What really, really undermines the the mother's experience uh, in the journey. It's like, yeah, you know, okay, like I realise there are positives I can focus on here, but that is not where I'm at at the moment. And what I actually need is just to be witnessed, held, heard uh, and loved on at the moment. No fixing, thank you, actually. Nobody can fix me. Yeah. So very familiar, very familiar story I'm hearing there. And it's like you don't need, society doesn't need to fix you because you're not broken. Like you're you're grieving and as a normal response. Mm-hmm. But they don't like to acknowledge. There's a lot of, oh, but you can't, you can't grieve it. You know, I... There was no physical sign of my baby on the outside. Um, I wasn't even showing. So how can I grieve it? How, you know, like, 
I'm allowed to. There was a connection there. I I was pregnant. There was a baby. So, you know, and, you know, grief is love. So wherever there is love, there is always going to be grief. So I don't understand why then society turns around and tries to fix it. You're like, tries to like, oh, no, 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 you can't cry. You can't be sad. Don't be sad. Yeah, we don't know how to cope with grief or support people through their grief very well in our culture, do we? No, it's very, it's too uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing, like I don't, in it, but it's such a natural part of life. So why is it so uncomfortable to talk about? It's okay to talk about if your parent dies or if a pet dies. But when a baby dies, I think it maybe, I definitely know it's out of fear. So out of fear of like, oh, I don't even want to think about that. I don't want to put myself in that position and like empathize with you or show any type of like compassion. Um, I can't allow myself to go there. It's too uncomfortable. So, you know, this is where then they try and just like brush over it either not or not say anything at all. They'll say the at least comments to try and just close the conversation down or just like, oh, yeah, you'll be okay, or they won't say anything at all, which is just as bad because you're like, well, I have gone through this massive thing in my life and yet you can't acknowledge it and you can't see me and you can't witness me in my pain. And it's like they only want to be around you when you're good and happy. Like, oh, I I can handle that person. I can't handle the sad person. Do you mind sharing about what those internal health problems were that weren't investigated? I I imagine this was something for you around your journey to getting pregnant again. It was stuff that I had battled, like, my whole life and not one doctor said, oh, this actually, we should probably get on top of this before you want to fall pregnant. I was iron deficient my whole life. I was in and out of hospital when I was a child on infusions. There was, you know, I I ate relatively healthy. I was an athlete. Um, but my period, my hormones were always um, imbalanced. After we had our loss, when I met, I had changed GPs at that point. And she said to me, she said, if you had have come to see me before you were trying to fall pregnant, I would have told you no. And I was like, why didn't someone else tell me this? Like, why didn't someone else bring up that there is some really, like what what seemed seemingly insignificant to me? iron deficiency, imbalanced hormones, like my period's always irregular, so what? There was also other vitamin and mineral deficiencies that I had as well. Um, I was always low in vitamin D. Um, You know, there was just other little things. But given that your body works as a whole, she said, as soon as one thing's out, it has a knock-on effect to the entire your, into, to your entire body. 
but there was a there was a handful of things for me that was not right. So she said it's going to have an impact on every area of your body. And given that your hormones were so out of balance, of course that's going to affect fertility. Of course that's going to affect, you know, how the baby is being able to be implanted and all of that because there was just there was nothing that was kind of right and I I was diagnosed with thyroid issues but not enough to actually be put on medication for but just enough to be affecting me physically so there was just all of these little things that were kind of again, just seemingly insignificant that I was going to GPs over the years for to go, you know, I'm I'm having trouble with this. Okay, you've got a thyroid issue. I'm having trouble with this. Okay, you're low in iron. But no one actually sat down with me and said, okay, this is how your body works. This is actually with all of these little things, these all have a knock-on effect in, in how your body works as a whole. And it can affect fertility it can affect you know the way that your body functions while you're trying to grow a human because if your body is working on next to nothing how is it going to be able to provide for a little baby that's going to be taking all of these things from you while you're you know while it's growing and so you have to kind of be in that peak peak condition to then grow this little human. So, you know, she sat down with me and she told me about the methylation system, about how it all works. And I was like, oh my gosh, why didn't someone tell me this before? And, you know, it takes someone that's a little bit outside, that thinks a little bit outside the box to actually give you that and so that we and so we worked closely together then in getting my physical health back on track and within five months of working with her and working with my physical health my mental health my emotional health I fell pregnant again and this time it was completely different This time I knew that I had done everything in my power to be the best physical vessel for my baby and also work on my emotional and mental health to the point that I would be okay if everything was to go wrong again. I was just going to ask how you did that work, what Mm. that work looked like for you. Yeah, I did a lot, a lot of journaling, a lot of writing in my healing to understand what was actually going on inside of my head. I did a lot. There was a lot of stuff that came out that I didn't like that just didn't feel like me. I'm like, that's not me. Like, why, why am I thinking that? Why am I believing that? You know, where is this even coming from? And I created a really safe place for my emotions and my my belief system, my body to be seen. And then I started, so I gave my 
I gave that a place to be seen. Like I, I wrote and I was also, it's, I also added in um, gratitude because I, it's so easy to get focused on everything that's going wrong and being consumed with all the stuff that's going wrong. So I started to add in uh, gratitude and so really starting to shift my focus on some things that were going right. Um, I started to, I found, I asked myself what was the place that I actually felt really good. Like if I could get out of the house, where could I go? And it was to the beach. So I would get out and I would go to the beach because I felt like every time I was at the beach, everything I'd ever worried about in that day or that week or that moment was gone. It's like she took it all away. Mother Nature was just able to cleanse me in that moment. I couldn't be cranky. I couldn't be sad. Even if I wanted to cry, I'd cry, but it wouldn't last forever. It would be a really brief moment. I'd cry and I'd be okay. So I started to kind of, I know, be proactive, I guess, in the way that I could start shifting myself out of it because there was a moment in my, I kind of questioned myself. I'm like, holy crap, is this going to last forever? This can't last forever. So if this can't last forever, what can I do? How do I get myself out of this? And there's no, and like, I didn't have support. I was just like, I was asking myself these questions and whatever came to me, I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll write because writing, mum, mum always told me to write, <laughs> like whatever's in your head, get it out on paper because then it's not swirling around in your head, like becoming this big, big ass, like tornado that's in there and <laughs> tearing everything up. So I did, I just wrote and I think I went and saw a therapist, but only for maybe two or three sessions. I actually thought I was going to need therapy forever, but I took her these, I think it's like five or six pages. I'm like, here you go. This is what was that I've written down, like everything that's kind of happened. I cried one whole session. I didn't, I didn't speak to her. I just cried. And then I think the second session I went, I was in a completely different mindset. And then the third session, I was like, actually, I don't need, I don't need this anymore. Like I was, I was baffled, but I just like, I had figured out what I needed, what my body needed to get through those, get through those moments. And I started actually, and it was one thing, there was one thing that my auntie said to me, which is now also what I teach, but because <laughs> it was like a huge kick in the guts at the time. But because it came from my auntie, it was, it was said with love and I was triggered by something one day. Um, and I was like, I was blaming them. I was like, they, how dare they do this to me? How dare they say this? You know, I felt terrible. And she turned to me. My auntie is like very spiritual, very much in touch with like the angels and the spirit, um, spirit realm. So 
whenever she speaks, I listen. <laughs> and she said to me, it's not them. They didn't say it. It's you. Whatever they've hurt, they've hurt something that already existed within you. And I was like, how dare you say that to me? How dare you say that it's all on me? Like, because then it was in my head, it was all my fault. I was like, well, it's all my fault. I've made this huge thing. But I was able to go away with what she said and understand that what that person hurt was a wound that I had inside of me that I had to then choose to see and heal. So then I was able to, every time I was triggered, I was able to see what what wound it was that was triggered inside of me and I was able to rewrite that and come from a place of I guess if it happened again, like a place of power rather than a place of like a knee-jerk reaction and understanding that things weren't happening to me, like things, like they're kind of, it's that saying, isn't it? Like things don't happen to you, they happen for you. And when it hurts, you're like, how could this be happening for me? But when you actually stop and think about it and give yourself the space and compassion and grace and go, okay, what is actually how, what was said? What was my reaction? Why did that hurt so much? What emotions am I feeling? What does this mean to me? And when I was able to understand what those moments meant, like every time I was triggered, I was able to change the meaning because we can, we can change what it means. And Things were starting to shift then. Things were starting to open up. I was able to see more light instead of so much darkness. But it was just like pulling pieces of things like together to for myself because I was like, I didn't have anyone to talk to. So I was just like, okay, this works. Yep, this works, this works. Um, and then able, and then I was able to kind of shift and then when I fell pregnant again it was a very reserved happiness my husband and I were like yay but inside going holy crap like we're excited but (laughs) we don't want to get too excited um so it was a very reserved happiness and I asked myself at that point I'm like if if I was to lose this baby, how would I feel? And if I if I had have said, you know, I, I couldn't survive, I couldn't go on, there's no way that I could get past this, then I realise that's not the place to be bringing, like to be trying again because you're in a place of utter fear. Mm-hmm. But when I was able to respond and say it would be shit, my heart would break all over again. I would go through all over, like I'd go through this all over again. But I'd, I've already been to rock bottom. I know what that's like there. And I know that I can get myself out of it because I've done it before. So when I fell pregnant, I knew that if, it was 
to go wrong again, that I would go to, I'd, I'd go back to rock bottom. But I would also know that I had developed ways to get out of there. So my rock bottom wouldn't, wouldn't be that place I would be at forever anymore the way that I thought it was going to be the first time. We went through and had a healthy pregnancy. I was shit scared so much of the time. But it was a beautiful, also on the flip side of that, it was a very beautiful experience because I made extra, I made sure that I bonded with her. I made sure that I spoke with her every single night, every single day, every moment that I could, I'd speak with her and I'd touch my belly. And so I, I wanted to create this beautiful connection with her throughout the entire pregnancy. Can I ask, Shana, whether you chose to share that you were pregnant with anybody, and if so, who, uh, before you kind of hit that, I guess, got past maybe that 10-week mark of, of finding out last time that you'd experienced loss or maybe past the 12-week mark that is the kind of, you know, um, the time that often people feel um, it's appropriate to share that they're pregnant. And I'd love to unpack that a bit more with you. Uh, but yeah, interested to know how you manage that. Yeah. So we, the very first pregnancy we told, I wasn't aware of miscarriage at all. Um, so the very first pregnancy we did tell my mom and my stepdad, my in-laws, whether it was, it was as soon as I found out. So I thought it was maybe around the nine week mark. And then by the time we went to the ultrasound, it was about the 10 week mark. So I wanted to do the same. I told them as soon as we found out at the six week mark that we were pregnant again, I told them because I wanted the support if it was to go horribly wrong again and I didn't want to do the traditional 12 weeks because I'm like I'm going to need support earlier than that I'm going to know I need someone in my corner so my belief now about the 12 make 12 week mark is it's I don't know I want to bust it I don't want people to think that they have to wait till 12 weeks to tell people but if they do want to wait, that's completely fine. Um, but have someone in your corner, like right from the start. It doesn't mean that, you know, even if it's just like we just told our parents, it doesn't have to be that you're telling the world. Um, but just have someone there to talk to because even in the first trimester, you there's still so much that you need support with and there's no very little doctor's appointments and stuff like that until you get further along where they they up the ante and you have more. But, you know, 12 weeks of not really having to, not really knowing how your baby is going or having these weird cravings or, you know, whatever, being sick, have someone in your corner. Mm. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's so sad that we don't, a lot of us choose not to tell people until 12 weeks because of the fear of miscarriage. And yet, if you were to miscarry, 
and nobody knew you were even pregnant, then you're lacking the opportunity for people to offer you support. Uh, mm. You know, you're you're even more alone in that experience than you would otherwise have been. I guess it's also, though, you know, we've already talked on this podcast about the insensitivities or the lack of understanding about what support ought to look like when somebody experiences miscarriage. Uh, and so it can well be a protective mechanism um, where, okay, if I do miscarry, actually, I only want, you know, these people to know because I know and trust that they will offer me the sort of support I need. And I'm not going to let anybody else know because, uh, you know, I don't trust that they will be able to witness me in that or support me through the grieving process or those things we talked about earlier mm. it was really even though I like I said before in my first pregnancy I, I was like I was living under a rock I had no idea about miscarriage but I still chose to tell my parents early and they were able to make the phone calls for me and and do the things that I felt like I couldn't do. They could they stepped into that place and they did all of those things. So yes, absolutely. Finding the people that are going to provide that for you, that can step into that role and and be like your little your advocate while you're going through and so you don't have to speak to people. But I had to so because I hadn't told work that I was pregnant. When you, when you just said before, like when you don't tell people and then you have to go through the process, I you either don't say anything and then you carry all of that on your own, which a lot of women do. But I had to make a phone call to my boss to tell him why I wasn't going to come to work. And I had to say I was pregnant, but I lost it. And that was one of the hardest sentences I ever had to say. And it's not one that you are ever prepared to say. But because they didn't know, it's that's how I had to do it. And But if you've got someone that can support you, you don't have to explain or justify why you are the way you are and or carry it silently and try and you know put on a mask um and just show up and keep trying to show up while internally like you've just got so much heaviness happening um but yeah i don't believe in waiting because like you said it's then you even feel more alone if that if it does happen um, or you're having to deliver that sentence to people, which is, you know, I was pregnant, but I lost it. And this is my reality. This is why I am the way that I am. This is what I'm going through. But hopefully, I don't know, I, I kind of want people to start advocating for themselves a little bit more too. And actually, if that is the case, say it. Like, say how it like communicate that because people aren't mind readers either so you know if 
you are talking to someone that doesn't know what's happened. Just communicate that because it's a really hard place for us to be in when you're trying to mask everything and then be an okay person in society and function and do all of the things. Can I ask whether um, your husband, what his experience of the miscarriage was for him and your response, not your response to him, but your response to the miscarriage, how that felt for him? Because I can imagine that it would have been really, really hard for him, a very sort of helpless position to be in to know how to be with you through that. And he may well have had his own loss experience going on as well. Yeah, it was a very, my experience was a very traumatic experience. Um, So what we were told from the doctors wasn't what happened. I ended up experiencing a lot of bleeding and ended up in hospital to get a DNC. um, But, you know, I was nearly passing out to the point, like I was losing so much blood, I was nearly passing out. Um, So he was witnessing all of that. And it wasn't actually until probably not that long ago it actually hit me and I was burst out crying and I was just like oh my god like he witnessed all of that and he was there in the hospital holding my hand doing like all of the right things continuing to witness like everything that was you know unfolding and he was you know, Googling things and trying to figure stuff out because he's like, I don't know how to support you. I don't know how this is going to la- how long this is going to last for. And doing everything that he could in that moment. That moment obviously was really hard because he did feel so powerless. But also then the weeks that followed, he was obviously trying to process his own stuff and I was still stuck in my own stuff and all we could do was fight like there was no communication we couldn't we couldn't get on the same page and I'm just like I'm over here like falling apart and you want to go back to work I don't understand I don't get it I but it wasn't until I about a year after our loss that he opened up and said that he was how scared he was for me and for the for how everything happened and how he felt like he couldn't show that he couldn't he felt like he couldn't say it but being a year out, we were then pregnant with our rainbow. So he was like, obviously felt safe enough. And in that moment that he felt like he could say how scared he was. And it would, it's so hard because you, you do try and think you're so consumed with your own stuff, obviously, but you do try and think how they're feeling. But unless you can communicate how you're feeling. Like there is so much that goes, that's misread or miscommunicated or just assumed. And then you end up like 
with this like wedge in between you because you're just like, well, there's I can't communicate. I can't communicate with you or I haven't been able to communicate with you for so long and now where do I start? How do we start to bring that back together? So it it is a really it's a really hard place to be in especially when you've got a man that doesn't like voicing emotions and feelings even for him to say he was scared there wasn't much else that came out that was but that to me was big because for him to say that that's huge yeah but definitely um you know communication keep trying to keep the communication open is such a big thing at that time so that there isn't the assumption of this person should be feeling this way because I'm feeling this way they should be feeling this and just because you're you might be feeling this one day and he's down here and you, you're shifting like all of the time. So it's okay that you're falling apart maybe one day and he's not. And then allow him to fall apart one day and you don't have to. Like if you feel like you're okay, that's okay. But also I think it's it's good for like each party to find someone that can be that support as well because it's very unrealistic for us to expect our husband to be this like unicorn person that can take all of that yeah that can listen and can provide support and like even as much as we want them to if they can't be that person that's okay. You still love them. They're still your husband. They're still your partner. It's okay. But find someone else on the outside that can be that. Yeah, I love that advice. And it makes me think of the the work that I do uh, in supporting couples to find healing after a traumatic birth experience. Yeah, that communication piece is so tricky. Um, you talked earlier on a lot about how writing was a really helpful tool for you and a lot of the tools that I suggest for my clients are writing based uh, and one in the the key tool I suggest for couples is writing based so mm-hmm. writing each other a letter and I won't go into the details of what I suggest they write about now but that rather than just have a conversation that answers these questions for each other, um, I say, write a letter to each other and express about this and about this and give yourself a a deadline, a a date for when you're going to have those letters finished. And and maybe that's, you know, six weeks out or whatever. Um, And that on that date, you're going to commit to sharing your letters with each other and opening up some really important conversations from whatever comes out through those letters but having the opportunity to sit with your thoughts and to write things out and when we write things we often do see them in a different light and having the opportunity to add to the letter or to take things out or to reword or you know is for so many people so much more helpful than just trying to have that conversation off the off the bat, you know? Mm-hmm. And I know for me, I'm one of these people who, if I'm in a heated conversation, 
a lot of fear comes up for me and I won't know what to say on the spot and later I'll go away and I'll go damn why didn't I say this or why you know why did I respond like that um so so yeah I I love the letter writing approach to being able to more safely um, and sensitively begin those really big conversations yeah it's a very I've done that with my husband too I write letters to him all the time yeah <laughs> because it's a very non-judgmental way that you can get your your feelings across and you don't have the the person on the other side of you kind of like staring at you wanting that wanting to sort of hear what you've got to say but then you're also afraid that if you say something wrong it's going to get their back up and they're going to get defensive and then it's going to end up in this fight so especially when they do when you're in states of grief and you're very you sort of can't articulate what it is that you really want or you're feeling it more often than not ends up in a fight because then you're just like stuff comes out wrong and because you can't think straight and you know the other person is is very heightened as well like they're very sensitive as well and the letters are just that non-judgmental way of being able to express it You're like okay this is a really safe place for me I can actually write what I'm feeling and then when you do organize to have the the reading it's a you like set the intention for that space as well to be a non-judgmental space mm-hmm. so that you can read each other's I guess your innermost thoughts and feelings and what you feel like you need or what you feel like is missing, but also to have that, you know, intention that neither party is going to be judgmental at that time as well. So there's no fights. Yeah. (laughs) But it's funny, like letter writing has come up when I've um, worked with other grief workers as well. in couples is has been a very um i guess a tool that has been used a lot that comes up a lot uh in terms of commute trying to communicate without that the fear of saying the wrong thing or you know getting someone off offside yeah yes can we talk about your I guess journey into the work that you now do like describe for us what it is you do and yeah and and like I, I'm I mean I'm sure that all you've shared with us so far is the very thing that led you down this path but if there's anything you want to add to that go for it yeah it was the thing that kind of just reaffirmed for me why I needed to do this was because I was looking for that type of support myself and it wasn't available. Um, you know, there are grief coaches and, you know, there are a few more pregnancy loss coaches popping up now, but there wasn't, there wasn't like, if I searched it, there wasn't that available when I was going through it. And, you know, if you think about the world, as its entirety, there is so many women that are going through pregnancy loss 
or infant loss or child loss or baby loss. There's so much pain and not enough support. Um, I started, I did a life coaching course and I started doing supporting lost mums, like angel mums, and I, because that's what I was after. And I ended up having a lost mum, a baby lost mum, reach out to me. And she's like, I need to know how you do what you do. Like you're showing up and doing the thing. How do you do it? And I was like, at the time, I was like, I don't know. I can't teach you this. I don't know how to do this. Um, I just, I did a life coaching course and then I created it. Like I created my program. And I think it was about six months later, she reached out to me again. She's like, have you done it yet? (laughs) So I think, oh, I was at that point like, okay, universe, this is a sign. I need to, I think at that time, like she reached out the second time, there was another two women that reached out to me as well, asking me how they could create a support service for lost mums. Um, so essentially this is where the pregnancy loss practitioner certification was born. I took probably six months to create it and it's been running now for two years, I think two years. Um, so what how I created the program was essentially how I transitioned through my healing. So I broke my healing down into phases and I like to call, so essentially it's my pregnancy loss recovery method. It's how I transitioned through my healing, what it was like in the initial stages, then what happened, what, when you, when that fog of grief and everything starts to lift You start to think a little bit differently, but then what is the support that is available to you at that point? There's not a lot that's available to you when you start to reevaluate, you know, your, your thought patterns, you know, why you do what you do, like, you know, everything that, that when you're, when you see sort of like a grief coach, they can help you through the initial stages of the emotions and the grief, but then like the, what I found was when I was able to do that, I came out of it going, okay, now I know how I feel. I can't turn my head off. I can't turn, I got to switch these, these thought patterns. I don't know how to shift my belief system. I don't know how to, you know, work with my subconscious mind and turn all that around because it's been so wired for, you know, fear and anxiety and guilt and shame and worthlessness for such a period of time. And then it starts to show up in all aspects of your life because then you feel unworthy in every aspect of your life. So that's when I was like, I need to know how to do this. So essentially once, and then once you be able to, once you can go through the thought patterns then re-identifying who you are as a person, as 
the person that shows up in the world, the person that shows up in your life. Who are you now? Because you're different. Embracing all of those differences, embracing everything that you have been through. You'll never go back to the person that you were. So who are you now? Who do you choose to be now moving forward in your life? And what can you look forward to? What, you know, what do you want in your life now? Because at the beginning, that's, you can now, you can't see that. Mm. Like there's no way that you can, even when you're in the initial stages of grief, look forward to your future. You can't. So the pregnancy loss recovery method essentially is a step-by-step way that we are navigating our life after loss. And it's a way also you can't bypass any step. You can't skip one and go to the other because it's intentionally set out in a way that you kind of navigate that time. Um, And then... So I obviously stripped my personal experiences out of it and created it as a structure, as a framework that other students can then follow. And then I obviously I put in like all of the tools and resources that I had created along the way that I knew that worked for me, that I knew that worked for my clients so that the students have something that they can work with straight off the bat as well. And it's it's created intentionally to heal the healer. It's created in a way that as they're navigating the program, they're also being able to use these tools and resources on themselves as well mm-hmm. and healing themselves, healing these little pieces that maybe they didn't know needed healing as well. I gave a little laugh in, not because what you said was funny, but just because so much of what you've been saying throughout the course of this interview, because we haven't talked before, right? It's like, oh, my gosh, we really, our work is really similar. <laughs> um, and that's, you know, the, the the Healing Birth Practitioner training program that I run, uh, that's, that's part of what's embedded into it as well. Like while you're doing the training, you are healing yourself <laughs> as well. Yeah. 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 Hey podcast listener, I'd love a moment of your time to briefly share with you about the Healing Birth Practitioner training program that I offer. This is an intensive 10-week program held online where I teach you all the skills and knowledge required to be able to effectively and confidently support others to find healing after they've experienced birth trauma. Essentially, I'm teaching you to do the one-on-one work that I've been doing for the past decade. If you're already a birth worker, I consider this training an essential part of what you need to know to provide truly safe and supportive care. But also this training is for anyone who has an interest in birth trauma support work. If you want to become a certified healing birth practitioner, jump onto my website link in the show notes for more details and get in touch with me to have a chat about whether this course is a good fit for you. The next training commences on October the 9th. And it's so important because, you know, on one hand, you want to know that 
the what you're teaching others actually works. So you do it for yourself. And then as you're doing it for yourself, as you're, you know, integrating it into your life, you can start to see the changes that it makes for yourself. And that's been a huge takeaway for my students that have gone through the program is they didn't realize, you know, how much the program kind of shone the light on themselves as well in a good way, in an empowering way, because they're able then to, you know, step into another version of themselves that is then going to support other people in a more empowering way. And they will also be able to back everything that they talk about, everything that they share, all of the tools and resources they share with their clients. There's a lot to be said for doing healing work from a healed place as well. Not that not that we can uh, necessarily ever say we're fully healed from something like healing is, is a journey, and you know there might always be grief there. Um, we might never feel like we've quote unquote gotten over the experience of trauma, but doing that work ourselves and finding our, our place in a much more ourselves in a much more healed place. Um, is a lot more of a, a healthy and supportive place to be able to come from when you are offering guidance for others or support for others. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Like it's it is such an important it's an important thing to be aware of. And I think a lot of people are like, well, no, I don't want to. I don't want to keep working on myself. I don't want to do that. But then if you choose to be in that place of service from a wounded place or you still have wounds inside of you, you're going to be constantly triggered and it's going to be, and it it won't be a really nice experience then showing up for people because you'll be so affected yourself. Um, So to have that acknowledgement of, you know, Yes, I'm going to learn these these tools and resources to heal others, but it also has the opportunity to heal me and empower me as well. And like you said, you know, showing up from that more healed place because like you said, healing is an evolving journey. There's never that one day that you're just fully done. But to be able to choose that for yourself is only going to be of more service to the people that you that come to you, that Absolutely. you serve. Yeah. Who who mostly does your training, Shana? Um, so there has been so that I think there's been two women that have come to me that have haven't had prior training in anything. They've just been a lost mum themselves. Um but the other women that have come to me have been either life coaches um, that have had the experience of loss and then wanted to add that skill set and that knowledge to back them, that structure to back them. Um, I've had, there is a bereavement doula in there and also a, there was a lady, she hadn't, had experienced loss herself, but that was something that she saw was happening around her. And she was uh, also in training to be a counsellor. 
So she wanted to add the pregnancy loss support element into her counselling service. So there obviously has been, you know, health and wellness like professionals that have come to this place to add to their skill set, add to that depth of knowledge because they can see that it's needed. Mm-hmm. Um, or they've been a lost mum themselves with a vision to create support, to create the support that they needed or what they see is needed. Um, and I also expanded the the course to create, uh, to sort of encompass um, trauma because, you know, there was so much talk about trauma and pregnancy loss wasn't part of it. And I was like, it's a very, very traumatic experience. So I created a, a separate certificate for that um, so that women can then expand their knowledge going through certificate one, learning the the tools of the pregnancy loss recovery method, and then going into certificate two and being able to learn about the nervous system and trauma-informed care. So as it relates to pregnancy loss. Um, and I'm hoping also by women coming through the program, it's going to open the conversations around it as well, bringing pregnancy loss into the birth trauma, into the trauma conversations, because there's a lot of women out there who are struggling with it. I struggled with it. It was a very traumatic experience for me. Not everyone is going to experience experience it as trauma, but there's a lot that do and there's not a lot of information out there or acknowledgement out there that that's what they've gone through amazing beautiful important very empowering work that you're doing right like I come from the philosophy or the perspective that we are all our own healers and Mm -hmm. that the healing that we are wanting to access is within us all but sometimes we need a knowledgeable supportive understanding empathetic guide to help us to access that healing Uh, something I know that I talk about on my healing birth practitioner training program is the importance of understanding just that and that we are not we are not there to fix anybody the women we work with are not broken uh you know so there is nothing to fix and and we and whatever they perceive as being broken perhaps within themselves the answers to the healing do not lie outside of them right so uh which is that rescuer mentality is one that a lot of people who get into you know birth work or uh, you know life coaching or those sorts of um, things we're, we're often very empathetic people who do want to help others um, and so there's always a big conversation and it's often a very eye-opening one for people who come through my training around um, needing to ditch the rescuer mentality first of all being mindful if it's there um, and then recognizing that we are not there to rescue anybody. Um, yeah. You're nodding away. It's familiar. <laughs> yeah. 
And I think for a long time, like that was my thing. I'm like, I need to help people. I need to do things. And um, But when I set up the practitioner program, I set it up so that it taught people how to heal themselves. It taught them that they didn't have to go to therapy for years on end because that doesn't work. I mean, there's a lot of people that come to me well, that came to me and they're like, therapy is not working. I was like, because you're never given the tools to actually help yourself. And and like you said just now, like you have the ability. Everything that you need is already inside of you. Sometimes it just takes that person on the outside of you to awaken that yeah. or to give you a tool, but then it just then it shifts something inside of you. And that's why, like when I very at the very beginning started the program it was teaching women how to heal themselves it wasn't that they were going to be spending years on end with me and i was going to be coaching them or like you know healing them constantly i'm like no no you take this tool you implement it and now this is how this is the place that you can live from because you have this then to apply to into your life every single day for the rest of your life. And how empowering is that, right? Mm. Like yeah. trauma is seated in an experience of disempowerment and fear. So to be able to be a, a, a practitioner who can help somebody to access their inner healer mm. is offering them that ability to find their power um, to realize their their strength and their um, capacity to you know work through the dark stuff, the shadow self, the the fears, and to come to a place of true self belief and self worth and self love. Mm. Yeah, it's um. It is a very empowering place to come from when you know that you don't have to rely on other people to help you. You're like, oh, no, actually, I can do this myself. Yeah. I got this. Mm-hmm. Um, especially coming from a place of trauma, like if it's birth trauma, if it's pregnancy loss, they are very disempowering experiences. It feels feels like everything that you once knew was taken away is taken away from you in a moment. And to to be able to find people that can help you reinstate that is like it's it's literally life changing like i've the clients that i see now that i used to see as one on one clients when i first started their lives have completely changed around and it you know one of them constantly reaches out to me and she's like you know this it wouldn't have happened unless I found you because she had tried so much stuff and she was at the point of like, I, she goes, I don't even know what to do anymore. She goes, I, but I took a chance. And I think that's sometimes what we've got to do is, isn't it? We just got to take that chance. Like we've got to take that leap of faith and go, I don't know what's going to happen. Even in someone investing into the practitioner programs, like you, you, you have this, there's always going to be a fear of the unknown. But if you can make the, the maybe the voice of faith louder than the voice of fear and take that step into the unknown, so much can change for you. 
And if it is the practitioner program, like you can learn so much about yourself and about how you can empower others through these experiences. But we've got to turn down that, the voice of fear and our ego. Shana, if anybody's listening to this and they're like, yeah, I really want to explore that training uh, further um, or and maybe they are um, a pregnancy loss mama who would like some one-on-one support with you, Mm -hmm. uh, how can they, how's it best for them to yeah, get a hold of you. I'll obviously I'll put your um your website and and that and, and the show notes, but um yeah, also share with us um over the podcast. Yeah, so I still do have support services obviously for lost mums who are navigating grief and wanting to reinstate that sense of empowerment for themselves. Um and obviously the practitioner program, but both of those you can either find you can find on my website at www.shanasouthern.com or you can connect with me on my Instagram, which is at Institute of Healing underscore PL. Send me a DM. If it is just about a support program that you're asking about, um, you know, state that it's about a support program. If it's about the practitioner program, state that it's about the practitioner program and we can absolutely open up the conversation and see where it is that, you know, you might be needing that support or how you want to move forward um, with the practitioner program. Like tell me your ideas and what it is that your your vision is. But um, yeah, I'd love to support you in any way that I can um, in any area of your life that you're needing it. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for your incredible sharing today. Like there was a lot of vulnerable sharing you did there. And um, and these stories I feel are just such a powerful way to enable others to feel seen in their own experience, to feel not alone. Uh, to know that there is a path to their own healing, uh, to know what support systems are available out there, um, and just some tools, you know, if they want to try some of those tools themselves, you know, wow, amazing. So thank you for that, for that gift and for the work that you do. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and allowing me to, to share my story. It did trigger some emotions. <laughs> so I did I did get a bit vulnerable today, but no, I appreciate you allowing me to. If you enjoyed that episode, please spread the love by sharing this podcast with others and ensuring you subscribe and hit that five-star review. And if you'd like to connect with me, you can get hold of me via Instagram at healing.birth and through my website, healingbirth.com. I would love to hear from you, whether that's so you can share feedback or suggestions, or because you're potentially interested in healing with me or training with me to become a healing birth practitioner. Let's do it. Aroha nui, you beautiful people.